1: inside you. There's a power. A power you can use to meet every challenge, every roadblock, conquer every obstacle life throws at you. A power to be happy, fulfilled, successful. A power to be everything you want to be. Now, meet the man who wrote the book on human behavior. Behavior Behavior never lies. The man who can teach you how to unleash your own power to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Flint.
2: Hey, welcome to The Power to Be. Uh, Richard Flint here. And thank you so much for making this a part of your weekly growth experience. Um, I am excited that you have the opportunity to share in the time that we have designed to help you to improve in all area of your, areas of your life. And you will notice that. We do shows from every area of your life. There's nothing uh, within me that's off limits for us to be able to do a show. And one of the things that I love is I love being around business people, uh, entrepreneurs, people who you know reach out, grab something, and make it work. And I have two people in the studio with me this morning, and. Uh, In all of our shows, this is the first time so far that we've had people in studio with us. Every time before, they've been on the phone with us, but I can actually look at them this morning, so that's exciting. And uh, Dennis Poulin and uh, Becky Skaggs are here with us, and we're going to do a little discussion today about business, and a discussion about what do you learn when you buy a business, because... Many of you out there own your business, and sometimes we don't know what we have until we bought it, and then we're not sure what we have after we purchased it. So, um, Dennis, tell us, about, tell us about your company.
3: We're a company that's an industrial cleaning company that does commercial kitchen exhaust system cleaning, and that's done in the food service industry to satisfy fire code maintenance requirements.
2: So it's a business that everybody wants to be in.
3: <laughs> it's it's a, one of those dirty jobs. Somebody's got to do it. Uh, it's one of those jobs that gets done after hours. Nobody sees it happening. Um, it's just one of those things that must be done to maintain a fire-safe environment for these businesses that operate in that in that industry.
2: So you do it after business. What are you actually doing?
3: What we're doing is... Removing one-third of the fire triangle from what we've learned in fire science it takes three things to have a fire. You need oxygen, you need heat, and you need fuel. And they recognize the grease that builds up in cooking operation equipment is a fuel source. So what we're doing is going in is, and removing that one-third of the fire triangle to reduce uh, the effects of a potentially bad fire.
2: So this is something that a, a restaurant or anything that has the concept of food services cannot afford to avoid.
3: By, by fire code requirements, they can't avoid it. And it's a cleaning process. It's oftentimes uh, misunderstood or, or associated with being an extension of janitorial, custodial, or steward's work. And it's far different from that. In fact, we're cleaning. We're taking things that are dirty and messy and making them clean. But it's really about fire safety and removing the threat of a fire.
2: So what you do is you walk in with your little bottle of spray cleaner and you spray up in there and you get your rags and you wipe it down. Then you get your Windex and you make the hoods really shiny.
3: If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> uh, this is a, an industry that has evolved over the years to where the people that are serious about doing it are doing it with high-pressure power washers that are oftentimes steam-generated for for the heat. Uh, we're using pressure washers that go anywhere from 1,000 psi up to 3,000 psi. We're working with temperatures anywhere from just under 200 degrees, sometimes well over 200 degrees. Um, it's, it, it has to do with uh, technical aspects of getting into the ductwork where it's very difficult, places that are hard to reach, and ultimately removing uh, all that grease load that's in there.
2: Well, why in the world would you want to get involved in something like this? <laughs>
3: It's a dirty, messy business. Someone's got to do it, but it's one of those businesses that it, you have almost a not a guaranteed customer, but you've got a customer base that's required to maintain it. This is difficult enough that the restaurateurs don't want to do it themselves, and for the most part, in order to have it done right, uh, the the fire code community is asking for making sure that the people who do it are certified and or qualified to do it. So it, it takes some specialized training uh, to be able to accomplish this work.
2: So was this always something you wanted to be a part of? Did you, did you, were you born and you decided this is what you wanted to do?
3: Well, I don't think anybody grows up saying I want to be a grease duct or kitchen exhaust hood cleaner. But oftentimes people find out it's an it's an industry that's that's needed. It's necessary. It's a good business to be in because it's a renewing product or customer that has to be taken care of all the time. Uh, it could be done on a as frequently as a monthly basis, most often on a quarterly basis. Sometimes it's semi-annual or annual, so it depends on what the need of the of the facility is. Um, it's, it's a business that has, over the years, had very few barriers to get involved, and that's because traditionally over the years, it's been very unregulated, and it's not kept a lot of Poor performers from being involved in it.
2: Mm. And how did you get involved?
3: Uh, I basically was helping a friend out, who had had bought the business when it was a small business, a two-team, a two-man team, a two man team uh, operation. Uh, took it from two two crews that was doing about a hundred thousand dollars a year, and over fourteen years, he built it into seventeen crews operating statewide, and built it up to about two point seven million dollars in volume. So. He, he got into it, turned it into a very serious professional business. Um, over the years, he had gotten involved with uh, uh, service clubs uh, and at one point decided to take three years off of his business to just dedicate his life doing volunteer work for the service organization. And he asked me to help him find someone to run the business for him for that three-year time period. And so we basically went out on our own project of doing a little head headhunting to find a, a suitable manager or leader for for his business. And after several months, we, I caved in. And I said, well, if it's only for three years, I'll step in and I'll help you. So
2: that's how I got introduced to it. And that three years has turned into how many years now?
3: Well, it, it, three years into that, or two years into that three-year promise, he had made an offer to sell it to sell the business to me, and I bought it. And that was seven years ago. So it's been nine
2: years out of a three-year commitment, and Becky, how long have you been involved there?
4: Uh, just short of nine years.
2: Mm. And so y'all started sort of sort of started together.
4: Very close. Dennis hired me. Yes.
2: Mm. And what is Becky's role?
3: Becky's Becky's role started as a part-time scheduler It changed into full-time within just a couple of weeks, and then, and then it within a very short amount of time after that. We made her the office manager because she had those skills to deal with people and was well-organized. And today, she's now director of all the administrative services.
2: And, Becky, what is Dennis's role? Or have you figured that out yet?
4: <laughs> I think we're tr- still trying to figure that out. He, um, he is the owner.
2: Okay. And what does that mean?
4: Well, ultimately, all the decisions are his.
2: But over the period of time, uh, y'all two have, been, you have evolved this business. I mean, Becky, is it different today than when you started it? Absolutely. What's different?
4: Well, we have a, a different um, set of employees okay. now that we uh, we did not have back when I first started. We decided we were going to... Um put some things into place that would make hiring um, actually more challenging, but we would get a better employee from it.
2: Is this a is this a job for both of you? Is this a job that just anyone can do?
4: Actually, as far as learning the skill, anybody could do it
3: yeah. uh, again. Yeah, this is not that job that everybody grows up wanting to do, no. but it turns out to be a job that's steady, and people mm-hmm. find out it's not hard to do it. Uh, you have to have a pension for wanting to do good, quality, detailed uh, work, workmanship, uh, but there's also, because there's such so few barriers to be involved in the business, there's a lot of people have gotten into it who don't have uh, the drive to have it done as good as it should be. Uh, the standards aren't. Aren't there, and they end up attracting people, or they're willing to have people working for them that that um, that don't follow through and, and provide that high quality workmanship that the industry deserves.
2: Well, does this mean then that when it comes to doing the business, that one of the biggest challenges y'all have is just people?
3: People is the is the biggest part of this business. The easy part is is dealing with the what we do or the how we do it, but the biggest challenge is, is the why, and that's the people element. If you have people that don't buy into doing it because it's got to be done right or to do a better job at it, at it, then you've got people who just aren't committed to the end results being, being what they should be. and So the, the people element actually becomes the, the most highest value of it.
2: And Becky, you do a lot of the interviewing of people, do you not? Yes. What do you look for?
4: Hmm. Well, I look for a person um, that has possibly a, a good background, um, someone that's easy to talk to, because I do tend to learn a lot about a person when they come in.
3: Um. You know, when people come in for the interview, everybody always says, I'm a good worker, I'll be on time, I'll do all these attribute Mm -hmm. things. And the things that we know we have to do is we have to deal with someone who can learn our process. And the training part is not the hardest part. It takes time to develop skill at it but we we need to know we've got someone who can learn who've got some just the physical agility and the ability to to do stuff we want to make sure that they have the 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 mental wherewithal to make sure that they're working safe because we we're working at night in the dark um, we're working with with equipment that if it's improperly handled um, it, uh, you could get hurt and we're working with cleaning products caustic chemicals that require a safe process of, of using them. Um, so, so that part is the easy part. What The hard part for us to find is, are we picking somebody that's got character and has, the, has that sense of doing the right thing all the time?
2: And, and can you tell that, when you're interviewing someone, can you tell that? Or is it a trial and error?
4: I think there is a lot of trial and error uh, involved, but... Um, I do get a sense about that person. Um, If I can get them comfortable with me to open up and sit and visit, I oftentimes um, I I gather a lot of information that way.
2: And what I know about you, you're a person who sometimes you, you live a lot by your gut and what your gut is telling you. Yes, I do. And if your gut tells you this person isn't gonna fit?
4: Then I generally pass. If I have a very, very good feeling about this person, then I'll introduce them to Dennis. Dennis generally knows that I've got someone that um, I think would be a good candidate, or I don't bother to introduce them to Dennis
2: yeah and, and Dennis when you bought this when you bought the business you'd you'd worked for it for what two or three years before two, you purchased two years, two years when you bought it and, and all of a sudden it became yours uh, Was there more to it than what you anticipated?
3: Even as close as I thought I was, because I was managing it full time, the owner was absent uh, as good of an employee as i as I knew I was, and even having experience having had previous businesses myself uh, it was it was not uh, to the extent of of the skill level that I needed to really run the company, so I had to I had to really develop myself over over the time too uh, and even with a even with a business degree, college doesn't teach you everything it's uh, you know it 's that foundation for how to learn things. Uh, but I found stepping into a in an industry that all the workers who are basic basically categorized as an unskilled labor force uh, everybody knew more, knew more about the process and uh, and how to do things more than I did and yet I was the one that was in charge of managing everything so I had a crew that that I took over, that they weren't always motivated to do the right thing. They could easily manage me into a direction where they wanted, and it took a while for me to catch up to that and be able to identify um, who the manager was <laughs> and, and to really um, eliminate eliminate the um, the ones who didn't have the best interest
2: of the company in mind. Becky, when you realized that uh, Dennis had bought the company, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: were you concerned?
4: Um, No, I was not concerned. Why? I just felt like we had a good enough uh, relationship between the two of us. Um, We had goals and aspirations, and um, I, I just felt that it was a great move because we were going to make a better company. So I was not concerned.
2: And the fact that y'all had, you know, you had worked together previously for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and with Jen, Dennis being the manager before he became the owner, um, y'all had begin had begun to understand what it took for the two of you to work together.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, that that we recognized early on was that while well, we stepped into a company that was already the the biggest cleaning contractor in the state doing this work we felt we wanted to become the best and so we started doing things that would elevate our our quality our reputation uh, and that was that was part of that l- that hard learning curve to get us up to that level
2: all right now would you hold on to that because that's what i want to come back to i want to come back to the learning curve that y'all have had to go through And so we're going to come back with Dennis and Becky, and we're going to talk about maybe some things that even in business school, they don't teach you uh, when you become the owner of a business. So stay right there. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back.
5: Think about it. You can't argue with it. Can't dispute it. Can't ignore it. You know, it's absolute truth, and it applies to every person living on the planet. And to make it official, now there's a book about it, Behavior Never Lies.
1: Written by the grassroots expert on human behavior himself. His name is Richard Flint. In this book, Richard gives you his insight into why this number one Flint philosophy is so important for all of us to understand. It's
5: the book that won't let you off the hook. Because what Richard's saying is that if your words don't match your behavior... Sorry, you're out of the game. Behavior never lies. Listen, if you're brave enough, get the book and read it. Go to richardflint.com, or we really recommend you give Denise a call at 1-800-368-8255.
1: Oh, and just for your information, if you really don't like to read that much, ask Denise about the audio excerpt version on Flash Drive. Behavior never lies.
5: Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life? A mentor is much more than a coach. A mentor is a personal thing, one-on-one. He's got your back. He's there to ask the right questions at the right time so you can make the right decision. Richard Flint knows you stumble through your life at times. No clear direction. Life seems to overwhelm. You don't seem to be able to focus. Or, heaven forbid, you don't even care anymore. That's when you need Richard Flint by your side on your side 24 7 it can happen for a lot less than you think pick up the phone and call 1-800-368-8255 1-800-368-8255 ask for denise
0: you make the choice always
4: it's not what happens to you it's what you make happen
5: mentoring with richard flint it's a personal thing
0: Last month was about family and it couldn't have been a better topic. Every day where there was something that I was able to take and work on with my family.
5: Sometimes I just kind of think about what it says and then I realize it really does have something to do with my life every morning of every day.
4: We love the Morning Minute. It's just a blessing to our lives to be able to give us a great thought to hang on to all day long. Just
1: the Morning Minute for us it just kind of sets the day for us. That's where we really like it. The Richard Flint Morning Minute. In your email inbox every single morning you can try it for 21 days absolutely free the richard flint morning minute could make your day call toll free 1-800-368-8255 or go to www.richardflint.com and get the morning minute
2: Hey, welcome back. Uh, we're talking about business today, and we're talking about owning your own business. Uh, there are a lot of people who want to own a business, but I'm going to tell you, not mo- most people are not prepared to own their own business, or if they own it, or they buy it. Uh, sometimes it's more than what they anticipated it being. So, you know, from the two of you, and I'd like both of you to answer this, the greatest challenge the number one challenge after you bought it and y'all started building this because you know you've built it together i mean uh becky's an integral part of what you do and that is important so what in the beginning what was the biggest realization that y'all had or the biggest challenge that you faced, just in reformatting the business because When you bought it, it became a a different business, did it? Not as far as philosophy became, or was it the same?
3: I don't think the philosophy changed so much because we were pretty much in in control of that or or, or, or was managing that. The the first two years of just being an employee gave us that opportunity to go in and troubleshoot what we thought should be different and what could be improved, and that's the easy thing to do is to walk into somebody else's operation because I think when you build it from the ground up, you become so uh, emotionally close to everything you've developed, you don't always see what could be done differently. So troubleshooting is easy, particularly when you're looking at somebody else's project. Um, so, But w- once you once you really have this as your own and you're carrying it forward, now you have to rely on your own creativity and discipline to make things right. And probably the one thing that that we did was make sure that we got some we got some help because we weren't experts in everything. Uh, we relied on a real good professional trade organization that that was able to give us a lot of guidance and direction on the best way of doing things. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of great colleagues were met that way. Uh, it was we were able to get around them in a non-competitive arena because. We weren't competing in the same geographical area, yet they, were, they had an interest in elevating the, the quality of the industry. So they were willing to help us. And so uh, whether it was specifically on a technical basis or general business ideas, that trade organization helped us a lot. So right off the bat, recognizing that there are other people out there with great expertise that could help you is important. One of the greatest values I had with Becky was that she recognized where we wanted to go with the company, and she was in 100% support of getting things done right and doing it right. She's got great skills that I don't have, and one of them is that gut feeling of being able to read people. Uh, you know, So she's, she's better at that than I am. So I've leaned on her to, to, to take over in that area and, and give me the feedback of where, what she sees on there.
2: And and Becky, do you see a difference in the philosophy y'all had today uh, as opposed to the philosophy that uh, was there before Dennis bought the company? Or have you taken that same philosophy and just sort of reshaped it and reformatted it for what y'all want to do?
4: I think basically we reshaped it and reformatted it. I think it was there, but we just saw some areas that could be improved, and we improved upon it.
3: You know, specifically, I always felt that regardless of what industry you're in, we're all in the people business. Mm-hmm. So, so it doesn't matter what business you're in. But at some point, I had to decide that we weren't in the business of developing people. We were in the business of running, running a, a business entity with good people. We had to identify that there's not always going to be the people we want around us that are working for us. So we had to go through this process of learning how to identify those people who, in a sense, we've always heard the term people carry their own bag of rocks and they want to pass them on to you. Well, I went through a long process of trying to take care of those people and, and unload them of those, that bag of rocks. And It took me a long time to figure out that, that I didn't need their bag of rocks.
2: Well, and so what do you think, Vicki, was the biggest improvement – That y'all made first what was the the biggest improvement that y'all had to do because you know every company has a personality to it and uh when the gentleman who owned the company was there the company many times is built around that person's personality and so the company takes on its appearance and its presence based upon what the emphasis is of that person so Now, you come in, and Dennis, you buy the business, and so now the business has to go through a shift because probably, you know, like you said, it's easy when you just come in and troubleshoot. But when it's your business and you want to improve it, I mean, what was it about the the culture or the environment? What was it that y'all had to do to start reshaping this and reformatting it? Well,
3: it... It started with me uh, buying into a philosophy of doing nothing but the highest quality workmanship, and this is an industry where it's incredibly easy to to cheat your customer and have them not know it. And so there is a there's a high level of pushing the 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 issue of having the integrity to do it right. And so where things were were allowed to to not be as good as they could be. And part of it was was establishing that new code of ethics in terms of doing what had to be done because it was the right thing to do. And just having a pride of workmanship to know that it is the best that can be done. So it was a big a big push in the beginning for changing what they did and how they did it. Uh, Eventually it became, we're so good at what we do, and we're recognized for that now, then it became the big push of why we do this, and that is, because we do it for public safety, for having a fire-safe environment, and we don't want to be the responsible party who didn't do things properly and and contributed to a a bad fire. Uh, So we've gone from talking technical how-to to to the reason why we do it, and we do it because it's the right way to do it, and we want to be the best at it.
2: Well, one of the things that we've talked about, Uh, is the concept of the the three P's, that in many organizations it's based upon profit, then process, and then people. But what I see that y'all have shifted to is that it has become people, process, and profit. Well,
3: I had to go through that same mental process, because in the beginning I had to catch up to the the process, the technical part of it. I had to make sure we, we had the profit there to continue with the business, and that's still there. Uh, I've always felt that while we were in the, regardless of what industry we're in, we have that, we're in the people business, but we need to make sure that the people we're in business with, uh, whether it's the customers externally or internally, internal being our, our employees, that they're the right people to be in business with. And at some point, I had to decide that those people who weren't going to buy into our philosophy, while there might be good people, they might not be the right people for us. So we've, we have forced our turnover to be higher than what we want it to be, but we eliminate the people who keep us from accomplishing what we're trying to do.
2: And Becky, what about your internal staff today? I mean, you, you've got some great people.
4: Really great people. Wonderful support team.
2: And do you share, do you feel that, you know, y'all are all on the same page?
4: Yes. Today, I do.
2: But in the past, not?
4: A year ago, No.
2: And, and when you don't have people, I mean, because you're in, you're in charge of the internal operations. Mm-hmm. When you don't have people uh, who share in them, you know, I'm a person who believes that there's got to be three levels of, uh, of connection within an organization for it to grow. You've got to have a common purpose, a common agenda, and a common commitment. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you have people who don't share that purpose or agenda or commitment with you? What does it do internally?
4: It causes a lot of conflict. It truly does.
2: And does conflict sort of spread itself?
4: It sure does, like wildfire.
2: Yep. And is that an easy fire to put out?
4: Um, not always.
2: Because I know you had you had one employee that uh, wanted to control the kingdom. Yes. And. Uh, and she was very 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 good at what she did. Yes. But it was just her presence and how she needed to control mm-hmm. that caused the conflict.
4: Yes, it was.
2: And I'm just going to ask the question. <laughs> what kind of a what kind of a position did that put you in?
4: Well, I had more inner turmoil over it. Um I'm very secure in my position, um, so I was not threatened by that. But each day became difficult um, to to work around this person, and not only uh, with myself, but everyone was beginning to um, have difficulties working around this person. And the tendency was to hold on to her because she was good at what she did. And that was a mistake.
2: And was there ever a time that this inner turmoil that you went through Mm -hmm. made you question whether you were in the right place or not?
4: It came down to that. Yes.
2: And what would have happened if she had stayed?
4: I would have gone.
2: Yeah. Dennis, you remember the conversation we had about your options
3: it was short. <laughs> there was only there was only one option. Yeah. See, very early on, what I recognized about Becky was as as she was putting the office staff together, uh and this she probably took over as office manager within within two months of being hired, what I recognized was that she she did not allow little clicks to be developed. She 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 just didn't, well, she didn't put up with drama in the office, and so right off the bat, we, we started creating an office environment where we were open and comfortable with each other, and we didn't have little personal agendas that were going off in different directions. We also knew as we hired people in, we wanted to find people with, who had great skills, and I've, I've never been afraid to hire people that were smarter than me, and I don't think that's too hard to do. Uh, so we found this other person who was highly skillful at what she did, but from a personality standpoint she she was she wanted control of things in in her little world and and her way of gaining control was 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 separating people into into her little domain um, until it became uh, more of an organizational uh disruption or distractor or destroyer as good as she was, as intelligent as she was, it was becoming toxic for our environment. And it was a matter of do I keep someone who's really highly skilled at what they're doing or do I I eliminate that person because it's becoming destructive to our organization?
2: Well, and I hope those of you who are listening understand what we're talking about here because this is what happens so many times in companies. We have a person who's a skilled person like a, a Becky. And, and, and Becky is the person we want. But we have another person over here who's also skilled, but really is uh, the enemy because of their behavior in the company. And sometimes, you know, with a person like the one you had to let go, she had a lot of information. I mean, and there was no one cross-trained. To some degree, yes. but,
3: but that was yes. part of her control mechanism was to make sure that she was in control of that. Um, there was never a question of ethics or integrity with her. She just wanted control. Um, and even even when left, we made it very clear that this was not a question of job performance. It was more a matter of uh, you know, just...
4: As she put it, personal
3: Yes, it became personal, and that's and that's what it got down to. It was personality, and, and so that conversation that you and I had, on, I think on Sunday was, I'm going to call you tomorrow and find out, well how how you've how you're proceeding, and so, when you called first thing on Monday morning, you, you didn't even get started, and I said it's already done, <laughs> so we just took care of it, very first thing. It was a matter of, do I want to compromise? keeping one of the best things that's happened for my business, and that was having a great partner that supported me in the business. Um, it, it was just, it was too easy to say, all those skills that the other person has, they can be replaced with somebody else.
2: And, and, and Becky, when Dennis stood up and did that, what did, what did he say to you through his action?
4: Well, that he respected my position.
2: Um, Did you send a, a feel a sense of freedom after that happened?
4: Uh, yes. In fact, I think I told him, we've got our office back.
3: And, you know, it, it took very little time before everybody else in the office went through that same transition, and they have just flourished since then. Yep because they can be themselves they didn't have to be the person controlled by the other person. Mm
2: -hmm. And and would you say today in the office that you all have that common purpose, common agenda and common commitment?
4: Absolutely.
2: And so in in your world of what you have to do that frees you up to be uh, the leader because you know Dennis we've had this conversation about the difference between being the owner and the leader and you know, when you don't have that common purpose, common agenda, and common commitment, there's always these points of confusion that are in there.
3: One of the first things you asked me when I started working with you as a business coach was, what is it that you want to accomplish? And I said, well, we have a good company. And I said, but I need to get this beyond where I'm at. Uh, and and I think that the whole point there was was I, I, I needed... I needed to identify what area can I grow in. And the first thing you said was you need to create a common agenda that everybody can work towards. And so I, I picked on that. It turned out to be a different common agenda that I picked. But just having that common agenda has gotten everybody on board, and we use that as the catalyst to go after all the other things we want to accomplish.
2: Yeah. All right, folks, stay right there. We're going to take a brief break, and we're going to come back and then – We're going to start talking about the tough questions, okay? Don't go anywhere. We will be right back.
5: Behavior never lies. Think about it. You can't argue with it, can't dispute it, can't ignore it. You know it's absolute truth, and it applies to every person living on the planet. Behavior Never Lies.
1: Written by the grassroots expert on human behavior himself. His name is Richard Flint. In this book, Richard gives you his insight into why this number one Flint philosophy is so important for all of us to understand. It's the book that won't let you off the hook.
5: Because what Richard's saying is that if your words don't match your behavior, sorry, you're out of the game. Behavior never lies. Listen, if you're brave enough, get the book and read it. Go to richardflint.com or we really recommend you give Denise a call at 1-800-368-8255.
1: Oh, and just for your information, if you really don't like to read that much, ask Denise about the audio excerpt version on Flash Drive. Behavior Behavior never lies.
5: Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life?
1: A mentor is much more than a coach. A mentor is a personal thing, a one-on-one thing. He's got your back. He's there to ask the right question at the right time so you can make the right decision. Richard Flint knows you stumble through your life sometimes. No clear direction. Life seems to overwhelm. You don't seem to be able to focus. Or, heaven forbid, you don't even care anymore. That's when you need Richard Flint by your side, on your side, 24-7. And don't think it can't happen. In fact, it can happen for a lot less than you think. Pick up the phone and call 1-800-368-8255. 1-800-368-8255. Ask for Denise. Mentoring with Richard Flynn. It's a personal thing. And quite frankly, it's a much better thing.
2: All right, now here's my question for you, and we're back with uh, Dennis and Becky, and we're talking about uh, an entrepreneur, owning your own business, what you need to learn. And how important, Dennis, is it to have a Becky?
3: This has really turned out to be uh, an incredibly valuable position. In the beginning, I was micromanaging everything, and over time, I've had to peel things off. So i having somebody there t- who understands that common agenda, that common purpose, that common goal. Uh, she had bought into all of that. We worked at it as you know, as a as really a, it was very common between us. Uh, so to have somebody right there with the skills and the abilities to to, to do that allowed me to step away from more and more things. Uh, so that I could concentrate on things that were not the day to day management operations, I could get out and do some more development things for the company. I could go seek uh, new technologies and in, in cleaning or, or whatever it was I didn't have to be there to take care of the things that she could she could handle for me
2: well and it's, it's interesting because uh, in some respects, okay, Becky, did you have to train him? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As she says timidly, uh, in, what, in what ways?
4: You know, I think micromanaging is um, something that Dennis is really good at.
2: He could have a degree
4: in it? He could. Okay. He could. So, um, And I think a lot of that was him just getting comfortable with knowing that um, his office ran very well without him. And maybe even a little better.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and I'll tell you, from uh, being an owner, I understand that. uh, Because I had never really owned a business until I started my business. And so I could be the biggest source of frustration to my people. Mm -hmm. Because I would walk around and ask dumb questions. um, Because I was just trying... to. I wanted to know what was going on in my company. And sometimes those dumb questions created a major world of distraction for my people. Because sometimes dumb questions makes makes people feel you don't trust them. And, you know, I I was just really seeking information. Right. But I got in the way.
3: Uh, Yeah, and I I can identify with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not a, you know... In the grand scheme of things, we're a small business. We've got about thirty-five employees. We do about, in our industry, we do about two point two million dollars a year. We have, you know, it's not the not the height of the of the business that we've done. At at one time before I was the owner, the company did two point seven million dollars. They had seventeen crews that went out every night to do this work across the state, uh, and, and today we've trimmed off about a half a million. But we've we've had to go through that judicious process of deciding which customers are good customers, which are not, in terms of or do, do we have unprofitable business that we want to get rid of?
2: Did you have a time when you were paying customers to let them let you work uh, well, for them?
3: Well, yes, you know, um, and so you, you absolutely have to decide that you can't just have them there just just to trade money. You got. If you're in business to be successful and and have a profit you have to decide which ones to to remove yourself from um, and, and today while we're maybe we're a half a million dollars less in volume profit wise we're up substantially you know so we, we've we've had to do the right things to be a healthy company if if we don't do the right things to be a good company and we're not going to survive as a company then there's there's probably thirty five uh 35 families that don't have employment somewhere.
2: Well, I know this has been some tough conversations that we've had about, you know, you, you're you at a place where you need the money that some customers are paying you. But yet, when you look at what they're paying you, there's not the profit margin in there. But you can't afford just to let them go.
3: You, um, don't, you don't think you can, okay. but it's costing you money to keep them. So And sometimes that's hard to recognize. That's part of that bit about building a business and being too close to it sometimes. Uh, Having a relationship with someone that you think is good, it might be a friendly relationship, but it's not a valuable relationship. So part of that had to be identified. Um, And and that was an important process to go through.
2: Is that a tough conversation you all have had to have about, you know, okay, we have have these restaurants, um, you know, and they pay us each month. And we need the cash flow. But yet when I look at what we're generating as far as profit, it's not there. But, you know, when you need clients for the cash flow, can they hold you hostage?
3: Yes, they can. You know, emotionally, mentally, they can. Uh, So you've got to be able to look at that and see where you're at. Uh, So there's a fiduciary responsibility as the owner, to be profitable so that you can be there to be the employer uh, and, be able to, and to be able to carry on. Uh, it's a responsibility that I have to make sure that if I've got people relying on their paychecks, I have to make sure their paychecks are, are going to be good.
2: But in the process of doing that, I mean, uh, and, and this is a struggle I see in so many businesses. They, they've got a Becky who could run the business, I mean, and uh, can do it. But uh, there is an owner who feels that, you know what, my presence needs to always be there. And yet there's a world of uh, ownership that most, most small to average companies don't arrive at. And that is that the role of a dentist is not to be the leader. That's the role of a Becky. The role of a dentist is to be the guide and to create the vision for the company. And to create the pathway and to be out there and having a presence with you know doing doing prospecting as the owner, and I mean and that was a challenge for you, was it not? Yeah, we were
3: one of the problems we had is because we' be, the the business had been around for so long and it was the dominant service provider in the area. We had more more requests for service coming in almost in what we could handle. So we, we were taking on business at times that we never should have taken on. Uh, there, was, there was more of a philosophy before our time is to build us as big as we can get it, be proud of the fact that we're the biggest. Uh, but we, we had to put the brakes on that because being big doesn't necessarily mean that you're good.
2: Uh, well, I know a lot of companies that are big that go, have gone broke. Uh,
3: and and I, I didn't want to be a part of that, of that community.
2: So, what what's quality to the two of you, Becky? What is what is quality? I mean, when when y'all are there and you're there and you've got this staff and you've got a great staff around you, mm-hmm. I mean, when I look at each one of them that you have there now, I mean, they're they're connected to you, and I think they do share a purpose with you, and um, I think sometimes they can be more enthusiastic <laughs> than you need them to be at a moment, but you know as you as you look at it what what's quality
4: actually i think when we talk of quality it's the quality of work that's being done at night that's the quality that might uh, that dennis looks for yeah.
3: from a technical standpoint mm-hmm. we know what we have to accomplish you know the real the real step up is is being willing to do more than the minimum standard, being able to do it better than anybody else, doing the things that people don't expect, and that's just not over-providing over, over providing and, and under-promising. It's just a matter of being recognized for for doing a complete job, doing little things that perhaps they weren't expecting.
2: So is that why, like the people like an Alex are some of the people you have that are out there? And is is it also important that along with the two of you, they understand what quality means to you.
3: Absolutely. You know, for those people who have bought into it, and I talked about having a high turnover rate, we've got about 35 employees total. We've got several of them uh, that have been with the company, some of them longer than I have been. They Mm -hmm. were in place. But for the vast majority, almost everybody that was in place when we started, they're gone. Right. So today, you know, we've taken on the approach that we're going to hire them, we're going to train them, we're going to evaluate them. And we tell them they might be the best kitchen exhaust hood cleaning technician in the world. But if they don't have the right attitude about being the right kind of people, having integrity and character, we don't want them. Uh, So to me, uh, we're not going to sacrifice the quality to have the integrity, but if we don't have the integrity, we're never going to get the quality.
2: Do you understand, in a a world of business, do you understand how rare that philosophy is? Because in a lot of businesses, it's, okay, we got the business, let's just go in and do an acceptable job.
3: I was told very early on by another business coach, when I made the comment that I wanted to be the best, he says, you don't need to be the best to be successful. And uh, I said, that's, I'm sorry, that's, that's, it's part of my DNA. I have to do it that way. And he said, well, that's going to cost you a lot of money. And I can guarantee you that he was right. Uh, it has cost me a lot of profit to do it the best way. Uh, but but I wouldn't be happier otherwise.
2: You're over there shaking your head.
4: Uh, I, because, because I'm agreeing, he's a man of integrity, and his integrity is on the line every night that our guys go out. And... and
2: that integrity is where you've gained a lot of business, right? I mean, you've had clients leave you because of the fact they could get another company to do it cheaper. right? But what, what, what you know, you said this to me so many times, give them a year or two and they'll be back. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Following up behind us as a service provider is easy because we do a good quality cleaning job. It will take them a year or so of not doing a good job before the customer really catches on to it. Then that's when they find out cheaper is not always better, so it's not uncommon for us to get that call back. So we always try to make it a very professional exit when they tell us they're gone with somebody else. I always welcome them back, uh, and most m- many times they do come back.
2: Well, you know it's uh, uh, what your business coach told you is something I agree with, because people who become the best become historical relics, and the the key for me in any business is that okay. What do we need to do to be better? So we've got just a couple of minutes left. So from both of you, what are the main things y'all need to do right now to be better? You've come a long ways. I mean, when I look at where you were when you when you were and where you've come today, you've come an immensely long ways, but you can't stop.
3: No, and I think what we're doing now is making that final transition into really making sure that the people that are with us have a purpose and a commitment for doing it for the right reason. And everybody comes to work for a paycheck. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they're on their own agenda and not paying attention to what we want to accomplish in the business, it's just not a good fit.
2: Becky? You're not going to add anything to that? Nothing to that?
3: No. No, we... We, we, we like to have that business where when you walk in, people know there's a good synergy going with us. There's kind of a joke in the office where Becky and I are, are almost the same age. People will say, oh, it must be a family-owned business. This must be your wife. And I tell them, no, my other boss has a full-time job. <laughs> 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 so we just, we just happen to work extremely well together, and, and it's, it's been great.
2: One more quick cool question for you how important is the communication between the two of you? Very important. So can you talk to him about anything? Yes. And do you?
4: Uh, yes. She, Whether he likes it or not. Yeah. And,
3: and she is the one person that can come to me and say, Dennis, I think we're doing this wrong. We're taking the wrong approach. I think we were wrong in handling something a certain way. And thats it's hard to find someone who, number one, has the confidence to do that with, that has the right, the, the right motivations when they're doing it. You
2: know, it's, I, I tell a lot of owners, you need someone around you who's not afraid of you. Yes. And who understands because they share that common purpose, that common agenda, and that common commitment with you. Because as an owner, I see my business from one set of eyes. But many times, uh, a Becky in my company sees my business from a different set of eyes. And I can become so uh, narrowed in what I'm trying to build that I don't see the big picture. And so to have a Becky around you who will come in and say, Dennis, we need to talk, and who you you feel comfortable in bouncing your ideas off of. Absolutely. And does she ever talk you out of your great ideas? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. She says, you know, there's there's a different perspective to consider here. Uh, and oftentimes she's right. Uh, you know, fortunately, I'm not...
2: I wish you could see the look on her face <laughs> ob- over the word oftentimes.
3: Yeah. So she also knows she's, she, she's got to get me to the point where where I'm willing to slow down on my enthusiasm for my idea. And I have to recognize that just because I'm excited about doing it my way doesn't make it the right idea.
2: Well, folks, I hope you can understand the wisdom of what we've wanted to talk about here today and what I wanted to talk about because I have a, I have about four pages of notes here that I had Dennis put together for, for me and I don't think we touched on much of it, but that's okay because the intent that I wanted today was for you and I to understand the power of the owner and the leader being connected because in a lot of companies, the disconnect that I see is that the owner who has to be the guide and the person who is the leader, if they don't have the strength of connection, the whole organization operates in confusion. And if you could go inside of uh, Dennis's company, and you could walk around, and you could meet the people that are part of the partnership. They're not a team. They're a partnership. And if you could sit there and talk with them, you would find that there is that common purpose, that common agenda, and that common commitment that's there. And as they've built... This partnership, they have built it with people who want to grow with them. I mean, I, I look at someone like a Maria and how Maria has just shot up and just blossomed. And when you have the people who want to grow with you, you know what happens? You grow. But it begins with the people buying into the process, which is where the purpose is. And the reward of that is the profit. So it's people, process, and profit. Dennis, thank you. Becky, thank you. Thank you. For being part of this today. Uh, And I hope you'll join us next Thursday, same time. And we're going to continue some discussions on you. Because the power to be is all about you. Hey, go to my website, richardflint.com, take a look at it. There's some great things on there for you. Questions or comments or anything you'd like to say to me, uh, Richard at richardflint.com. So until next Thursday, understand something. If you don't have people who walk that common road of purpose, agenda, and commitment with you, you'll understand why you have confusion in your life. See you next Thursday.
1: Any questions? Call our people at Richard Flint Productions, 1-800-368-8255, one 368 8255 or visit us at www.richardflint.com. And thanks for listening.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.